And finally, the final announcement is engage our um, prayer meeting that we have here is tonight, tonight at 6.30. And before that, we have a potluck at 5.30. So engage is a great way to put into practice what we have been talking about, what we've been reading about this summer, uh, prayer, our summer series, Prayers Through Scripture or Prayers of Scripture. Engage is a great way to practice that, to come together and pray with other believers. Every time I come to engage, I leave encouraged, I leave in fresh or refreshed, I leave um, desiring to know God more. Those of you that come to engage, I don't have to encourage you to come because you know it's great because you've been. Those of you that haven't come to engage, um, come, come tonight, come enjoy a meal with us and then come pray and sing with us together as we come before the Almighty God. You won't regret it. So I will see you all there tonight. Uh, all right, so let's get started. Let's jump into our text. Today we are looking at one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, this incredible prayer. And I remember reading this prayer for the first time. Or let's be honest, it probably wasn't the first time. Probably the first time I read it, I just glazed over it um, because I read it at a, a young age. But I remember reading it what felt like the first time. And I was blown away by Paul's words here. I didn't know you could pray like that. I didn't, certainly didn't pray like that. Um, but I wanted to, and I remember thinking, I want people to pray this kind of prayer for me as Paul is praying. And so one of my favorite things about this summer series that we're doing, Prayers of Scripture, is that we get to see what our prayers can be. We get to see what our prayers should be. We've seen many different examples of prayers through Scripture, and we'll continue that, that next week as well. And we get to um, have our prayer life deepened, impacted, and changed as we see prayers of scripture, as we see God's word and as we pray his word back to him, our prayer life is, in cha is changed and we know and love him in a deeper way because of it. So my outline this morning is this. First, we'll be looking at being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Then we will look at the surpassing love of Christ and we will end by seeing that God is able to do anything and everything. And my outline is, is really less of three points and really more of just the flow of the passage. So this passage is kind of built like stepping stones or a ladder or a staircase. Um, each prayer request builds on itself. Um, but so those are the, the kind of the main things we'll look at, being strengthened by the Spirit, the surpassing love of Christ, and God who is able to do anything. My sermon in a sentence is this, um, we need a fuller experience of God's love. Um, and I was going to, oh, there they are. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about the fullers. They're up there. Um, even the fullers need a fuller experience of God's love. Uh, they are not exempt just because of a fantastic last name. Uh, and I also knew that I needed to make that joke. Otherwise, I would hear from at least some of the younger fullers a little bit later. Um, but yes, that we need a fuller experience of God's love. So 
let's jump into the text, into this prayer. And one of the first things I want us to notice about this prayer by the Apostle Paul is that this prayer is intercessory prayer. This prayer is Paul praying to God on behalf of the Ephesians. This should be or is a huge part of our prayer life, praying for other believers. Praying for other believers is one of the best things that we can do for them. To bring people that we know and love before the Almighty God and boldly approaching Him with our, on behalf of our brothers and sisters, it's an incredible task. And it's an incredible honor. So as we go through this prayer, I want us to see what are the types of things Paul is praying for. And I want us to look at ourselves and think, am I praying these types of prayers for my brothers and sisters? So Paul starts off uh, with humility in this prayer. He says he bows his knees before the Father. And we talked, I actually talked about this a little bit the last time. This is not a typical stance of prayer, at least at this time. A typical stance would have been standing uh, to pray, standing to look up towards God, to be talking to him. But this is not a typical one. This is a position of humility. Paul is coming before God, and he is acknowledging his greatness and power and his position. And in fact, he says, everything comes from you. All families on earth are named from you. We are dependent on you. Everything comes from you. And he, um, so he's coming before God humbly, yet he's coming before his father. He's coming before him intimately. And even though he's coming in deep humility, he is coming with incredible boldness. And he is coming with incredible confidence. It's kind of like he's just putting into practice what he told them in verse 12. So a few verses before that, he said that we have boldness and access with confidence. So he tells the Ephesians that, and then he prays for them with boldness and with confidence. So let's get into the meat of this prayer. Let's look at the first request. The first thing that Paul asked God on the behalf of the Ephesians, he asked in verse 16. He says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. Paul starts off by asking this, and um, I have at least one question of this, probably, probably more, but the first question is, why would God do such a big thing? to take his spirit and to strengthen people with it. And this is an easy one to answer according to the text, but it is an answer that is profound. The text says it's because of the riches of God's glory. God does this because this is who he is. His glory is shown by what he does. He is rich in glory. Earlier we see in Ephesians that he is rich in mercy. And we also see in chapter 1 that he, his desire is to bless us with every blessing in the um, heavenly beings. Why? Because he wants to. Because it is his plan, it is his will. 
God is someone who lavishly blesses his children. And this prayer that Paul asks is no exception. He does this simply because he is good and because he wants to. He does not do it because of who we are, yet he does it because of who he is. So he asks God to strengthen us through his Holy Spirit, to strengthen us with power. And he does this in our inner being, or who we are at our core. This is not the kind of strength that you get from monster energy or five-hour energy um, or steroids or working out, right? This is not that kind of strength. This is not the strength that you get to go out and hit home runs and run marathons. Um, This is a spiritual strength. This is a strength of soul, a strength of character, who we are as human beings. This is the type of strength that we will need for the rest of the prayer. Really, this is the type of strength that we will need for the rest of Ephesians and for the rest of Scripture. If you follow through the whole book of Ephesians, this is the transition where he moves from um, primarily kind of doctrinal teaching to applying that doctrine. And he transitions with this prayer um, and ending in this incredible doxology. And basically he's saying, all the things that I'm going to tell you that you need, that we are to do, that we are to live, require a supernatural strength from the Holy Spirit. This is the type of strength that we need to live a life that is pleasing to God, to fight our sin, to boldly proclaim the gospel, to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This type of strength is only given through the Holy Spirit. It cannot be manufactured. This is not something that we can just pull ourselves out of a hard situation, right? This is not the the American dream of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't just grit down and get to work to have this kind of strength. It is a gift of God given through the Holy Spirit. It is a mystical strength. It is a supernatural strength that enables us to do the types of things that that we'll see in this prayer, even. And this rolls right into verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The connection here between these two, it's interwoven, it's interconnected. Um, We need power from the Holy Spirit. We need to be strengthened in our inner being for Jesus to dwell with us, to dwell in us. Now you may, like me, be asking, why is Paul asking this? Why is he asking that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith? Paul is praying for believers. He is talking to believers. He is talking to people who God already dwells with. Why would he ask that Christ can dwell in their lives, in their hearts, through faith? Isn't he already there? Well, let's look at Romans 8, 10 through 11. It says this, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is an ongoing dwelling of Christ. 
an ongoing thing of the Spirit giving us power and Christ dwelling in us more and more. These two requests to be strengthened by the Spirit and to have Christ dwell in us um, have to be connected. To have Christ in your heart is because of the Spirit. And to have Christ continually be in your heart is to be strengthened by the Spirit. These two go hand in hand. You have to have one with the other. It's not just talking about salvation, although that's certainly in mind. That the act of salvation for Christ to dwell in you in the first place is an act of the Holy Spirit. For him to open your eyes and to strengthen you to see that certainly is salvation. But Paul's prayer here is that we would have an even greater experience of Christ's presence in our lives. An even greater strengthening of the Holy Spirit. One commentator puts it like this. He says, the more the Spirit empowers our lives, the greater the transformation will be into the likeness of Christ. The more the Spirit is involved in our lives and is working in our lives and empowering us, the more we are transformed to look more like Christ who dwells in us. And the result of these two requests is the next one. See, everything on this prayer just really seems to build off of one another. Um, The next request, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Having the Holy Spirit empower us having Christ dwell in us will result in us being rooted and grounded in love. Our foundation is love. The foundation of our existence with Christ is love. The primary thing in our lives as Christians is love and is based on love. We are rooted and grounded in this. It is by God's love and because of his love that anything happens. That the Spirit empowers us, that's because of his love. That he dwells in us, that's because of his love. Again, why? According to the riches of his glory. This is who God is. And then when we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit, when Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith, when we are rooted and grounded in love, then, as it says in Ephesians 18 and 19, then may we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This prayer blows me away. These words are incredible. As we think about who God is, how big he is, it's only with supernatural intervention that we are even able to begin to understand God, how big he is and how great his love for us is. See, Paul doesn't even get to this request that we can know his love and the, the height and length and breadth of it, and that, that, that it surpasses it. He doesn't even get to that prayer, which is an incredible prayer and a really important prayer, but he doesn't even get there until he asks for God to supernaturally strengthen us, for the Spirit to empower in us, for Christ to dwell in our hearts. This is how big God is. This is how big his love is. I don't know if you caught it either, um, that this love is to be experienced together with the saints. 
That we would comprehend together with the saints how great his love is. When the church functions as the church, when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are dependent on Christ in our lives, when we as the church are rooted and grounded in love, then and only then can we begin to see how big, how wide, how tall, how long, how all-encompassing and how great the love of God is. So, in, And in verse 19, again, I don't know if you caught it, uh, there is an intentional paradox. To know something that surpasses knowledge. Well, how can you know something that is greater than knowledge? This is to say that the love of Christ is infinite. It can never be fully known. It is, in fact, the greatest thing that there is to have to experience it. We can know it, and we can always know it more, and we can always know it deeper, and we can always experience it more fully. And I do say experience on purpose. This talks about knowing the love of God. Um, But when Paul speaks of knowing, he doesn't speak in in terms of knowledge often that we think of knowledge. We think of learning in books um, and in school. But this type of knowledge, knowing the love of God, is experiencing the love of God. In fact, just by asking this request, Uh, One commentator says, Paul is assuming that the Ephesians don't adequately appreciate God's love. And he goes on to say, to further their grasping, it cannot be simply a mental exercise. Clearly, it's a personal knowledge. And although it understandably includes insight into the significance of God's love and the plan of redemption— It cannot be reduced simply to intellectual reflection. Paul wants them to be empowered so they can grasp the dimensions of the love in their own experience. The love of God can't be known like it's known in books. We must experience it. We must experience Christ's love to know Christ, to understand his love for us, And we can never stop experiencing it. We can never stop understanding it because it is infinite. It is unending. It is inexplorable. It can be felt more and more and deeper and deeper as we know and love Christ more and more, as we know and love God deeper and deeper, as we are strengthened more and more by the Holy Spirit, and as we are with the family of God more and more and seek His will. So this brings up, I think, a very important question. How can we know the love of God? Where can we find it? What does the love of God look like? One of the places that it can be experienced most fully, and I think this fits really well within Ephesians, because in Ephesians, Paul talks a lot about this, is in redemption. The fact that we are redeemed people, or can be redeemed people. So the song that we sang of John 3, 16, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love and the gospel go hand in hand. They are together. You can't have the love of God without the gospel. You can't know the love of God without knowing and experiencing redemption. Jesus died on the cross out of love for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. When we experience and continue to experience the grace and mercy of God, we will see and know his love. When we see our sin, we see it deeply and heavily, and we know the ugliness of it and the weight of it, and then that we see that our sin is no longer counted against us, that is love. That is God's love for his people, his mercy poured out on us. Why? Because he is good and he shows his glory in this way. When we see that we are adopted as children into his family, that he comes to us and says, Call me Father. You are my child. That's love. We know and experience that love, and it never stops. Our sin is deep. God's love is far deeper. We can know the love of God through the gospel. So we can also, we can and, and must know the love of God through scripture. So one of the things that uh, my wife quotes often uh, by one of her favorite people is that the mind or the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. We must know God to love him, to experience his love. His love is shown boldly and brightly throughout the pages of Scripture. Do you want to experience the love of God? Read your Bible. God will speak to you through it, the very word of God written to you. God is talking to you through it. You want to experience God's love? Open up your Bibles, and you will. We must and can also know the love of Christ through prayer. That's why we thought it was so important to take, and this is not the only time we talk about, but a whole summer series just on prayer. We spend a lot of time talking about prayer. Because in prayer, we talk to God, and God speaks to us. We must know his love through prayer, through deep and personal communion with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is another shameless plug. Come to engage. Come to engage tonight and experience the love of God through prayer. And then lastly that I'll bring up, certainly not lastly as far as ways that we can know the love of God, but ways that um, are explicit in the text, at least, at least this one is, we can and must know the love of Christ through the church, through other believers, by seeing God's grace in their lives, by God's grace being poured out on us through them. As it was brought up in the Sunday school class of someone to 
um, lift you up when you are down. Someone to rejoice with you when you rejoice. That's the job of the church. Someone to call you out in your sin. That's hard, but it's love. It's the grace of God poured out on you when someone calls out your sin and calls you to repentance. Coming here, worshiping together, singing together, praising God for who he is and what he has done. We can and must know the love of Christ through the church. All of this, the gospel, scripture, the church, prayer, it's really just to know God for who he is. To see him in his glory, to get as close to him as we possibly can. To become as intimate with him as we can, knowing that there is still much more to go. The love of God is deeper than we can say, greater far, to quote a hymn. The love of God is greater far than any tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star that reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a, tried, a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Paul ends his requests. He sums everything up. This is not the end of the sermon, so don't, don't stop there. But uh, he's, he's summing everything up with this last incredibly bold request. Maybe the boldest request that you can ask for. I don't know. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. That the fullness of God would be in you. And again, this is, this is the tension of the already and not yet. As believers, God does dwell in us. And his fullness does, does dwell in us. Yet he is infinite. And we can experience him more and more and greater and greater and Paul asks that the Ephesians and, and we ask together that one another would be filled with all the fullness of God, all of God's glory to be in your life, all of God's power to be in your life, all of God's presence to be in your life. This prayer is that we can have the most complete experience of God that we can, that we would be full. This is an incredible, an incredible prayer. And it's almost as if Paul anticipates objections here. So he closes with his doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
It's like Paul saying, yeah, I know what I just asked for. I know that it's a ludicrously big request. I know that these are things that seem like they are too much to ask. It is too big to ask the Holy Spirit to give his power to people. It is too big to ask for Christ himself to dwell in your heart through faith. It is too big to ask that we would have our foundation in love. It is too big to ask that we can know the insurmountable, inexhaustible love of Christ. It is too big to ask that we would be filled with the fullness of God. But this is not too big for God. Paul says, don't worry about asking prayers that are too big. Because God is able to do far more abundantly than all that you could ask or even think. This is the right thing for us to ask for. It might be the biggest thing that we can possibly ask for, but it is still a small thing for God. And this is so encouraging. God's power and size are on display here. If this is not too much for God, then nothing is too much for God. He is not too small to do anything. He can accomplish anything that he wants. I want you to, for a second, imagine the biggest thing that you can imagine. I don't know what it is. Some of you have really, really big imaginations. You're much more creative than I am. Think of the biggest thing you can imagine. And now I want you to imagine the biggest thing you could ask God for. That gets a little more personal. What do you want to ask God for? What's the biggest thing that you want to ask God for? The encouraging thing is it's small for God. He can do it. He wants us to ask big things. His power and size are on display here. And what's so cool about it is inherent in his power and size being on display is that He's bigger than we think. Even as he displays it, we only see part of it. Even as we see how big God is, we begin to see he's bigger than I thought. As we see how powerful he is, we begin to see, I don't see the full thing. He's even more powerful. This is the God we are praying to. This is the God that we worship. The God who is strengthening us and who is living in us. He is empowering us to live for his glory. And it is his glory that matters. And God will get his glory. He will be glorified in the church. He ends this, this doxology that God to be glorified in the church and in, in Jesus. What's so cool, earlier, Paul talks about, early in Ephesians, he talks about um, the church, the body of believers being the manifold wisdom of God on display for the heavens. The church is made up of sinners who are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That displays his glory. His transforming of people like you and me from sinful, hell-bound people 
to, as C.S. Lewis calls it, to people who one day, if we saw today, if we see them in glory, we'd be tempted to worship. The transformation of people like us into Christ is God's glory. It displays his glory. Specifically, what he talks about in Ephesians, a church that is made up of different kinds of people. A church that is made up of Jews and Gentiles together displays God's glory. When he takes and breaks down social barriers and says, worship me together, and then that community does, and it comes together, and it, it worships God, and it says, Christ is what matters, so we worship him. He is our basis for unity. That shows God's glory. I'm tempted to say brings him glory, and it does in one sense, but in another sense, it really just shows him for who he is. When we give God glory, we don't add anything to him. We just show him for who he is. Or as we see here, we show him for closer to who he is. The church does that. I thought this, I had one commentator that said this, and I, I thought it was a statement that rings true. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, but even greater glory is shown by his handiwork in the community of reconciliation. And if you look out, if you get to see the glory of God in the heavens, if you go to some place far away from the city and you look up, God's glory is on full display in the universe. The church shows an even greater glory. We, together, as a body of believers, as a family, displays God's glory. We display God's glory. When we love our neighbors as ourselves, when we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is God's glory. And this is tied to, directly comes out of, the glory that God gets in Jesus. Who is the head of the church? So I want to paraphrase um, and take from Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. Christ was raised from dead, raised from the dead, and seated at God's right hand in the heavenly place, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God puts all things under Jesus' feet, and he gives him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church and Christ are um, intimately connected. The church is dependent on Christ. He is our head. God gets his glory as Christ displays his glory. As his death and resurrection on our behalf displays his glory, on him being head over the church displays his glory. As everything is put under his feet displays God's glory. Christ being exalted to the highest place ever displays God's glory. What we see so cool here in this passage is the Trinity. We see that they're working together for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is strengthening us. And the Son, Jesus, is living in us, transforming us to be more like him, all for the glory of the Father. And the Father exalts his Son and sends the Holy Spirit, all for the glory. They work together in perfect harmony for his glory, for God's glory. So, 
What can we take from this prayer? How can we apply it to our lives? I think one of the most simple and straightforward ways to apply this prayer is simply to pray it. Pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so glad that Kendall prayed this prayer for us this morning. It is so encouraging. When we pray God's words back to him, we know that we are praying the right things. We know that God wants to and will answer these prayers. It makes me think about my prayers for other believers. Am I praying prayers like this? When I pray for physical needs, which can and should and must be prayed for, right? We see that through, throughout Scripture, that the whole person matters. But when I pray for physical needs, do I also pray for them in this way? Do I pray that the Spirit would strengthen them, not just physically, but in their inner being? Do I pray that as they go through suffering or whatever it is they're going through, that they would experience God's love more fully? What are your prayers like? Or um, if your prayers mostly consist of prayers for physical things, again, which are good and necessary, maybe we need to make a, a change in our prayer life. Maybe we need to pray this prayer. Maybe we need to, to put it down in our prayer journals, in our cars, wherever we pray, that as we're praying, we would also pray things like this. When I look at this prayer, it seems like my prayer life needs some adjusting. And then one of the other uh, so encouraging things is that we can be confident in this prayer. We can be bold in this prayer. One commentator, um, he shared this, and I thought it was so encouraging that I wanted to share it with you. He said, when we pray for Christians, we pray for those who have already responded to the gospel, and we know what God is doing in them. God is making them like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's teaching them to live and serve and even suffer as he did. So we are bold in these prayers. We do not pray if it be your will. This is God's will. This prayer for believers is God's will. So we can pray it with confidence. So I think another thing that we can take from this is to pray for big things. Pray big prayers. Pray the biggest prayer that you can think of. And I don't know what the biggest prayer that you can think of is, but I know that God is able to do far more abundantly than anything that you can think of, anything that you can imagine, anything that you can ask for. In our, our Thursday noon prayer meetings, some of the things that get prayed for pretty consistently are big prayers. They're things like revival for North County, they're things like revival for the United States. They're things like revival for the world. These are big prayers. These are big prayers that we can and should be asking. 
God is able to do far more abundantly than we can think. Maybe you think of someone in your life. Maybe you think of a believer in your life. And when you think of them, um, you think of them fondly and you love them and you care for them. But you also think of a, a sin that they have in their life. Maybe a consistent sin habit that they have. Or maybe you think of yourself in that way. And you think, as you think of yourself, you're like, okay, there's this sin that I'm really struggling with and I can't overcome it. Or you think, this person, I love them. I want them to be like Jesus, but I don't know if they can change. Pray big prayers for them. Pray prayers like that they would be convicted of their sin, that they would be transformed into the glory of God, into his likeness. Pray that the Spirit would empower them in their inner being. Pray that they would experience the love of Christ more fully. Pray big prayers. Pray that you would be bold in sharing the gospel at your work, in your neighborhood, at your home, with your family. Maybe you're someone who is like, there are some people who are evangelists. That's not me. And you know what? To, to some of that, I say, yes, there are people who are gifted with the gift of evangelism. And that may not be you. But we are all called to be disciple-makers to the Great Commission. Pray bold prayers of self-transformation, that you would be bold. Pray big prayers. Again, uh, uh, one that, that I am praying, and I want you guys to pray with me. Pray that Hazelwood West would have a revival. Pray that the students there would come to know and love Jesus, to be saved by him. Pray that Armstrong would have a revival. Pray big prayers. Pray that our church would be overflowing with new disciples from our community. This is our vision. To fulfill our purpose as we make disciples of Jesus. Let's pray big prayers. Let's come before God, who is able to do far more abundantly than we think. So, as we transition to communion... Let's come, and through communion, let's experience Christ's love for us. As we come, we remember his death and resurrection. We remember his grace poured out on us, the forgiveness of our sins because of his blood. But we do more than just remember. We commune with God. This is an experience of his love. As we come together as a family, as we remember this as a family, as we proclaim it as a family, we experience Christ's love. So if you are not a believer, if you don't know the love of Christ, if you have not experienced forgiveness and redemption of your sins, don't come up for communion. Don't just go through the motions. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Instead, go to Christ. Throw yourself at his feet for his mercy because he is a merciful God. Trust in him. Believe that his death covers your sins and follow him with your whole heart. 
with your whole mind, with your whole strength, with everything that you are. I ask you to just come to Jesus. And if you do, come talk to me or talk to one of the other elders. We want to know. We want to walk with you in this Christian life. As you come, those of you that are believers, as you come, come and experience his love for you. We can come forward as we normally do. You can take here, or if you need more time to reflect, you can go back to your seats and take there. If you're in the balconies, there is communion set up for you up there, so you can just come forward um, as you are. If you are unable to get up, if you're unable to come forward, raise your hand. One of our elders will bring communion to you. We certainly want you to participate and experience this. Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.